0: I am a sea of love. 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 You are a sea of love. You are a sea of love. We are a sea of love. We are a sea of love.
1: Hello and welcome to the Womb Center Healing Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, just wanted to share a few announcements for this um, late summer fall of 2021. First of all, and um, I you may have been hearing me introduce myself as Sama Morningstar for quite some time. And I have recently made the decision to go back to using my birth name of Jessica and my married name of Huckabee. So you'll hear me introducing myself as Jessica from here on out. Uh, If if you're curious about the, the reasons why I'm making that transition, you're welcome to reach out to me and I'd be happy to talk with you more about it. The other announcement that I want to make is that this episode that you're—well, I'm creating a series of episodes— uh, for this fall uh, all about ancestral healing uh, and this all of this is leading up to and sort of wetting our appetite for the month-long ancestral healing program that I will be hosting starting October 31st and this program is part of the Biomystical Womb Apprenticeship Program but you can join just for the month-long ancestral healing program Portion, And in this program, I will be holding space for you to discover your connections with your ancestors and find healing connections so a lot of people are concerned about connection, connecting with their ancestors, especially the more wounded um, or difficult ancestry. And so it stops them from exploring ancestral healing. And in this program, we will explore ways to be able to access the wisdom and the healing um, parts of our ancestry to and, and to help us liberate ourselves from the wounding patterns of the unhealthy and difficult aspects of our ancestry. So if this is of interest to you, go to wombcenteredhealing.com and look for the Ancestral Healing course. And um, all of these podcast episodes... Uh, for the next month or so, we'll be we'll be discussing various aspects of ancestral healing with the, with the guests on the show. So, looking forward to sharing that all with you. And um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. Today we have another episode of the Ancestral Healing Podcast Series. I'm Jessica Huckabay and I have Lobster Bird with me here today, also known as Sophia. And I would love for you to introduce yourself, maybe even share a little bit about your name as is such a unique uh, name, and also share about your ancestral healing uh, process and and what's inspiring
2: to you about that process these days.
3: Thank you, Jessica. It's so great to be here in communion and conversation with you. As you said, I'm lobster bird, (laughs) otherwise known as Sophia Ramalde. And um, I've told this story a lot about my name, so you can find that scattered across the internet. Um, But basically, (laughs) um, what lobster bird symbolizes is the coming together of two things, two beings, two essences that are seen as disparate. Like, you know, a lobster is a creature from the sea and a bird typically flies through the air or (laughs) lives in trees, Um, but when you bring them together, they become a whole whole new hybrid mythical creature that's never been seen before Mm -hmm. and they become something entirely different. And um, this comes from the Hapa tradition in Hawaii. Um, The Japanese um, Americans over there often call themselves fish birds. Um, And so there was a long story about how I became a lobster bird, but (laughs) uh, I myself um, am from both Eastern and Western ancestral origins. And that is, um, you know, coming into that name um, really happened when I was in grad school for art making. I was in grad school for collaborative performance interactive technology making, experience making. (laughs) And uh, during that time is um, when, when I was in New York City, I did a project called Fishbird. And I had to tell my story about uh, my mother. Uh, She was an immigrant from Korea. And so through the years, um, Lobsterbird came into being. And it's been really interesting to refer to myself (laughs) as Lobsterbird. Because it turns out that I thought I was you know, uh, picking something that was kind of interesting, it had some roots, you know, like uh, in ancestral origin, but it's come to really become a large part of my healing process, you know, is that in this world so many times, Uh, we say that, you know, things can't coexist in a certain way, you know, things are often seen as very black and white. Um, And I think that we open up the doorways for transcendence and into uh, new ways of perceiving the world, you know, when we're able to kind of come into this liminal space. So that's (laughs) what a lobster bird is. And that's what I am. And, um, you know, in terms of you asked about an intro, and usually when I introduce myself these days, I just say I'm a multidimensional being because I do and am so many different things. And my primary mission here on this planet is for our collective liberation. And so whatever you know methods and media and things I have to do to attain that is, <laughs> is what I do. <laughs> Uh, And yeah, so that comes actually from this uh, ancestral healing journey that I've now been on, you know, ever since I was born on this planet. Um, But it was interesting to be born several decades ago into a world where um, being half Asian and half white, um, I grew up in an incredibly um, white landscape of people. Uh, We were the Asian people in our town. (laughs) And um, it's been, been a reconciliation actually my whole life to kind of understand both of those sides of me and parts of me and then there was other ways that I felt very liminal or not quite one or the other I was always kind of like half boy half girl not quite either I never really actually felt human Uh, but of course I am very human (laughs) you know and there was just several uh, ways in which never quite felt here or there, um, which is why so much of uh, my life and my work is about being in this liminal space, which I feel is really important, actually, in terms of ancestral healing and also really relevant to this time right now because we're talking right before Halloween and Samhain and this very this time of the year where the veil is very thin, you know, and our connection to the spirits and our connection to our ancestors is very, very accessible. I mean, it's always accessible every day and every moment. Um, but it, during this time of year, you know, it feels very close. Mm. (laughs) So I don't know. I just kind of have this impulse right now to like, take a moment and a positive, if you would like to offer anything, Jessica, but like to also invite in our ancestors, like into this conversation, you know, and and just like take a moment to call in that energy. Mm, Yes, thank you.
1: Mm, We can all just take a deep breath and feel that liminal space, that connection with the ancestors. connection and
2: influences of our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents,
1: as well as the ancestors of the land where we currently reside and the lands where we were born.
2: Just thanking all of the ancestors for their influence, their blessings, everything that we've inherited. I also like to call in ancient well of spirit ancestors that can
1: support us with our healing process. This This is quite a tumultuous time that we've been chosen to be born into. Or have been born into, and um, it's often very helpful in our ancestral healing journey to call upon ancestors that lived prior to some of the the major wounding that we're all suffering from. Some of the collective wounding that's been going on for many many generations that were that were. Um, in the process of, I know myself personally, of saying, actually, mm, it stops here. I don't wanna repeat this pattern anymore. What can I do to engage in a healing process around that? And sandwiching all of that healing, all of that that wounding that needs to happen between me saying, hmm, I'm gonna devote myself to healing this and the ancient ancestors before it all took place. So we're creating a sandwich. <laughs> and whatever that sandwich might look like for, for each of us, um, we might have different images or ideas about what that sandwich looks like energetically. But we can just um, sandwich whatever ancestral healing needs to happen between our intention and the wisdom and strength and power of well of spirit ancestors that can support the healing process
2: so that's what I'll share
3: thank you yes thank you for activating that liminal sandwich of ancestral healing <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. um so but liminality, just to share in case, um, th- that's kind of a not common word. Um, the first, I think it was coined by Victor Turner who was an anthropologist. And what it indicates is this state of being that is neither here nor there. It's neither this nor that, right? So it's this kind of open spaciousness state. And when we're in that state, um, like you just activated for us and like we can activate at any time through a variety of ways. Um, it's easier to connect with those energies that are invisible or unseen or, you know, less tended to in our daily lives when, you know, we are basically like focused on surviving and <laughs> getting through a day, right? There's all these other energies, epic energies at play all the time. And so allowing ourselves to drop into the, these liminal states allows us to more, easily access, um, you know, uh, those unseen forces, which really, I think is equivalent to the space that's needed for healing. So, you know, for example, if we're healing something physically, and we allow ourselves and our brains to go into the parasympathetic state, you know, where we're not um, thinking about what we need to do, and, you know, like, it's that state between, waking and dreaming, and it's when the brain is at rest, then the body is allowed to naturally heal itself and there's nothing we need to do. And it's similar, right? So if we can allow ourselves to go into that state, then we can access our ancestors. We can access states of healing, you know, that kind of just happen naturally. So, you know, it's been for me a lifelong struggle. (laughs) It's been, you know, like this kind of just like we live in this world of duality, you know, where some like I'm me and you're you and there's this and there's that. Right. Like, I always felt like there were these two parts of me that never fully made sense together, you know, and um, it wasn't until recently um, really coming into direct consciousness with my ancestral healing journey, um, that these two sides of me or these two parts of me, started to weave themselves together in a way. And I became able to accept that I am the space for them both to coexist. Um, So back to lobster for a quick second is the um, saying that goes along with fish bird is a fish and a bird could fall in love, right? But where would they live? one can't live in either realm. So, you know, it was like this constant state of not quite being able to meet fully and integrate fully. Um, And so for me, like it's been in recent years in my ancestral healing journey and finally becoming that space, like where would they live? Well, they would have to live right here within me, within my own heart, because there are parts of me, you know, that I need to integrate and bring together. And... You know, one of the things that's really interesting to me anyway about this is that um, when I was in grad school and I was embracing the lobster bird and I got the URL lobsterbird.com <laughs> decades ago, uh, and at first it was a blog, um, and it was a blog about these polarities that I was exploring in my artwork um, like performance art and visual art or, um, like nature and science and technology, right. And all of these like things that we kind of seem as separate, right. And pulling them together into, um, an artistic and experience. And so, you know, um, back then when I started this, I was also doing a lot of research on, um, on just what it means to be mixed ethnicity, because I had no, uh, context for that growing up. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't like it was now, right? <laughs> like now, you know, like there's people, biracial people, you know, like all over the place and it's more part of the conversation. Um, but I certainly didn't know anybody, you know, and I had no kind of like mentors or, or frame of reference. So now fast forward um, and I'm doing my graduate work and you know, I'm trying to understand how to integrate polarities and, uh, and I started to do some research on DNA, uh, and about, and I found some research that was done about uh, interracial people, uh, and about like what happens. And so, like if we think about the opposite, actually, you know, like in terms of when um, you use homogeneous DNA and it combines, and it can create kind of like disruption. So, like if there's incest, right, um, that can lead, you know, to uh, to genetic sequences that really need diversity um, in order to thrive. And so I thought that that was interesting. Um, And so now fast forward several years later, uh, and one of the many things I do is permaculture design and working with the land. Uh, And really it's like one of my great missions to uh, restore the land and restore the soil right now and give back to the earth that we've been extracting so much from. And so one of the key systems actually that's totally out of whack right now and contributing to the whole environmental crisis is biodiversity. And so I think that's you know, like really interesting that not just as humans do we benefit from genetic diversity, right? But also the planet itself Um, Is reliant on the biodiversity of different species and different habitats, you know, and um, all of these different things being able to come together and coexist on this planet. And without that, it's causing great chaos because we've been losing that like rapidly, you know. Um, So, you know, in terms of ancestral healing, one of the things I've really been working with is, you know, we often think of our ancestors as people. rightfully so (laughs) I honor my human ancestors you know but there's also um the earth itself right I mean we come from mother earth Uh, to me she is one of my greatest teachers and greatest ancestors that I am able to have a connection to you know and so really coming into a healing with the planet in terms of really working with the earth And then also, you know, paying attention to my own body, which is an extension of the earth body, is our human bodies, you know, those two practices have really profoundly impacted uh, my own health and well-being, you know, like, and so much healing has taken place. So, of course, it's a potent thing to do personally but i also think that collectively and for the situation and the circumstances we find ourselves in at this time it's actually critical to really work on those levels like both you know with ourselves and our own precious bodies which like i ignored for so long I didn't think I was doing it. Like, I mean, I grew up and I was a dancer at age two, you know? So I thought like, I know how to work with my body, but (laughs) I didn't, (laughs) you know, I wasn't paying attention to, um, to like nutritional things or, you know, like subtle energetic things, emotional things. There was so much of it, you know, that was numbed out and ignored. So yeah, I think a big part of ancestral healing is also, you know, coming into the healing of our, um, of our natural ancestry. I don't want to say inhuman because I don't want to like create another divide. (laughs) I mean, it's already there, right? We often think about human in nature, right? Um, But that to me, I think is one line of ancestry that um, needs a ton of healing and has been a really profound practice in my life.
1: You know, you're reminding me of another, um, discussion that I have had recently on someone else's podcast series also focused on ancestral healing and this collaborator asked me to talk about ancestral healing and herbs mm-hmm. uh, as an herbalist and a gardener and someone who I have also a passion for learning more about permaculture. I've been a gardener and rep- you know working to replenish the soil. I've been an avid composter, you know, the idea of throwing any kind of food waste into the garbage is just like sacrilege to me, <laughs> you know. And so it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it really does. And so, um, you know, I I live in the current place that I live it wouldn't have been a, a town that I would have necessarily chosen to live in, but I found this awesome house with this amazing garden and fruit orchard, and I'm like, okay all right this you know (laughs) this is where we need to be and felt like the the plants were calling to me and i've been feeling called into um an ancestral healing process with the land Mm. with the earth the and the humans the historical humans in this place and some of the things that happened in the human ancestry and also in relationship to the plants, to the trees, um, to the the soil, to the other creatures that live here, and I loved how you talked about our natural ancestry, as you know, many many um, many traditions that are connected to the land. And our ancestry, our human ancestry, are also also experience and talk about and teach about and foster a relational connection
2: with animals and
1: plants and the earth and the rocks and the water and the air and the fire. And so there's there's a term for that actually, uh, uh, traditions that have that kind of relational a relationship of equality and ecology and co-creative existence and foster healthy relationships with all beings. Um, traditions like that are called animist traditions That, that um, which is sort of in contrast to some of these traditions where we do feel disconnected where we're taught to to disconnect from our human ancestry, but also have some sort of domination or dominion over the natural world, which also creates another kind of disconnect and actually dominion and domination over each other, where some people have more power and have the right to, dominate or control others, which fosters very unhealthy relationships for everyone involved and is the source of much of our wounding and most all, I would say all of our wounding and suffering in this world is this idea that one person or one creature has dominion in a dominating power over kind of way uh, over anyone else or ownership right? So land ownership, ownership within family relationships, um, all of these things. And and if you look at the institutions that most embody that kind of relationship power, those are the ones that have the most affinity towards this um, lack of biodiversity that you talk about. That are destroying the biodiversity not only in the natural environment by exploiting through ownership and profit-oriented activities, but also within the human population, it's it's in the, the royalty and the wealthy elite that, that wants to you know keep that there's this impulse to, to keep all of the resources for themselves and all of this ownership. That that inbreeding starts to happen, and that these ideas of purity of the lineage or something has been has been most promoted to the detriment and and to the detriment of everyone involved. Not only the people that are being excluded from being able to benefit from the wealth of resources available to us all, uh, or that have been available historically, but have been increasingly hoarded by these elite, right? That are wanting to uh, have the control over everything. Um, But also within that elite, there's the the detrimental, the detrimental effects of this, these ideas of limiting diversity, right? Of, Of, you know, all of that, that you talked about that, I think that's part of the illness.
3: Yep. You How that? It, so I don't have to. Was <laughs> you said it, so I was going to go there, but now yeah. <laughs> you just summed it up. You're I right. mean, we look at all the systemic problems. Basically, the so the very source of them is this disconnect because when you're disconnected that is when you assert your dominance and your dominion over things because if you were truly connected and interdependent you it wouldn't you, you wouldn't even think to do that you know no. <laughs> because you would be in the flow of life <laughs>
1: right and, and, and that the golden rule of do unto others how you want them to do to you is just of course it's just intrinsic. Hmm. And it's just understood when you're in a healthy relationship. And unfortunately, so many of us have been so uh, deeply harmed by um, these systems of domination and um, exploitation, that we're having to find our way back to what it feels like to be surrounded by healthy relationships. And I feel like the, the plant realm, connecting with the plant realms, connecting with the with ecology and restoring healthy ecologies in our gardens, for example, or in, in the lands that we are, have the privilege of, of being stewards of or you know in community gardens and um, wherever we can uh, do that and, and visiting um, you know, places of wild nature where that still exists around us, we can learn, we can relearn what it means to be in healthy relationship. And I know you wanted to talk about particular um, plant allies that have have much wisdom to teach us around this. Um, I know that, you know, in my discussion recently about herbal herbs and ancestral healing, I talked about how particular herbs and plants have been co-evolving and co-creating life with us, with us as humans and with all creatures for since the beginning of time. I mean, that we've been in relationship with plants since the beginning, we, ha- we depend on each other. Uh, many plants depend on human cultivation Many are very wild and would do just fine without us but many do uh, we've we've developed a, an interdependent ecological relationship and um, we're all included in that and we wouldn't be able to live without plants and I feel that our healing process really depends on reconnecting with that ecology. So I would love to hear what you have to say about some of the plant allies that you are, uh, well, maybe not even plant because it, our, fung- our funguses considered, I don't think funguses are considered to be plants. It's a whole nother.
3: Whole other world. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you
1: really wanted to talk about mushrooms and our ancestral connection to ancestral healing. So please do, uh, I, I have some mushroom allies myself that I, our dear friends, so please do share about that.
3: (laughs) Which ones are your mushroom allies share again? I know you shared with me.
1: Oh yes, Uh, reishi mushroom is an herbal ally that's really lovely for the nervous system that really helps us, like you were talking about earlier, how do we get back into that parasympathetic or rest and digest nervous system, which is Uh, the mode of the nervous system that is most conducive to healing and restoration. Uh, We get far too often stuck in the sympathetic mode of the nervous system, which is the fight and flight get out there, do all the things, make sure we're going to have our needs met. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a sense, especially here in the United States, of there's no safety net. Everybody's out to get their their chunk of the rapidly diminishing pie, right? And so (laughs) it's this constant state of like, you better get it or you're not gonna survive. And that uh, gets us into chronic sympathetic fight and flight mode, which is very unhealthy for our bodies and our spirits and our emotions. Not to mention the trauma, any like acute Trauma or past trauma, on top of that basic trauma that we're all suffering from—that this—that there's this scarcity of this pie that's being uh, gobbled up and leaving people behind. So, um, so reishi mushroom really helps to get us back into parasympathetic rest and digest mode, and then shiitake mushroom is just I think has similar properties medicinally but also very rich nutritional properties. Um, So I eat shiitake mushrooms every day as a as a food staple. So (laughs) those are my two main mushroom friends.
3: Yay. Um, Oh I get so excited to talk about this and there's so much (laughs) and the reason I asked you about your allies is because I believe that all mushrooms are sacred um, and as everything is on this planet. <laughs> um, but when a lot of people are talking about sacred mushrooms, they're often referring to psychedelics, um, which are also you know, um, special in their own way. But yes, as you were saying, they are their own whole own world often referred to as the queendom um, and as opposed to the animal kingdom <laughs> mm. uh, because of the qualities and the ways um, that mushrooms like come into being on this planet. So I think this is also really interesting in terms of we're talking about healing with the earth and ancestral healing. And so to <laughs> kind of bring that into the conversation with mushrooms excites me because theoretically, we are like mushrooms fungi are actually our ancestors and i mean like actually (laughs) we evolved from them and this is research that is fairly new um but what scientists are finding is that you know back when there was kind of this was like a big rock you know of a planet the only thing that was able to come onto land Um, and exist were the fungi, because they have the capacity to break down pretty much anything, um, including the rock that this planet was composed on. And through so doing, they were able to convert it into soil, thus making the way for plants to actually come from the water onto the land. So without them, we wouldn't have plants. And without plants, we wouldn't be human, as you said, (laughs) we wouldn't be here. Uh, We are totally dependent on them. Uh, But furthermore, when they date it back to um, their findings of when they found that fungi were here and when plants were here and when humans were here, the order that it comes in is fungi and then plants and then humans. So where did humans come from is the question. And we were talking about DNA earlier. Fungi DNA is actually closer to animals, including humans, than it is. So, you know, if there was nothing here, if it was rock, right? And the fungi came on here and the plants came on here, we had to come from somewhere, right? Like we, I I mean, we are from star stuff. And also (laughs) um, they're thinking now that actually, plants branched off from fungi and so did humans Mm -hmm. so like literally (laughs) ancestrally healing I find that the fungi are an incredibly um, important ally to tap into and it's part of my own personal theory Um, like a lot of people have been asking like why mushrooms now why all of a sudden right like there's like everyone is talking about them like in the wellness field right and now psychedelics are having their renaissance and you know becoming uh, used in therapeutic settings and like you know like like people are consuming them every day or, or, or partnering with them as medicines or all over the internet, right? Like the mushrooms are everywhere. Uh, and so my theory is one of the reasons why is that actually, you know, us humans have committed to doing things like ancestral healing, you know, and really working with the, um, the energy and the collective situation and actually wanting to turn things around, you know, for our contribution on this planet, which has been damaging to say the very least, to be nice about it, um, and to turn that around. And so it makes a lot of sense that we would then turn to our ancestors, including the ones who brought us onto this planet in the first place, Mm. which according to my current understanding (laughs) is the fungi, you know, um, And then, if you move forward throughout time, you know, and we developed into these beings that look like we do with arms and legs, right? And we grew up and then, um, but we had a limited conscious, you know, awareness and facility. Our brains weren't as developed yet. Um, And so then you move on to um, like anthropological theories like Terrence McKenna's The So ape Theory which is that, you know, humans came in contact with the psilocybin mushrooms as one of their food sources. And that's how their prefrontal cortex uh, became developed. And we developed the motor skills and the thinking capacity that we have today. So again, like none of this is set in stone, but more and more, you know, scientists, research, academics, et cetera, et cetera, are coming to accept that actually they are literally our ancestors. And so because we're in a state of crisis right now, you know, to really uh, do that healing and to partner with them is one of the best things we can do, you know, like for humanity and for the consideration of the planet. Because even if we're going to just disregard all of these theories and, you know, Um, And all of what I just said, in a very practical way, um, mushrooms, uh, you know, and I talked about them being the queendom and how they operate, right? And so, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, like the mushroom that we see on the ground or on the tree or wherever, that's like not even close to the whole part of the mushroom. That's like one little tiny part of the mushroom. And what happens is underground, there is this whole network called mycelium, right? And this mycelial network is basically, you know, the whole makeup of the mushroom. And so like the analogy that people always use is the apple tree. Right. And so the mushroom that we can pick off the ground is the apple. Right. But there's this whole tree with these all these roots that extend into the earth. And mycelium is amazing in terms of soil restoration, you know, because it's just doing so much within the soil there. And then it like reaches its tendrils and it carries all of this information and these resources and like just the kind of poet and artist in me just imagines like, you know, like how our brains, when you see imaging of the brain and you see the neurons and they're all like sparking off and it looks like the map of the stars and actually the fractals of, you know, the universe and our brains and mycelium and the internet are all very similar when you look at them in terms of patterns you know and they're all sparking and they're like sharing information and resources you know like across these networks that are also adapting to their environments and to changes in their environments and circumstances that are happening you know and input and feedback and it's just this whole like symbiotic web of like star stuff of energy (laughs) and exchange, you know, because it's so it's the invisible again that we were talking about in the liminal, like the mycelial network, you can see it sometimes, you know, if you dig into the soil, you can see, you know, the white like string like webs under the ground, but so much of it we're walking on all the time, you know, and not even perceiving that like underneath us is this incredible like resource that's actually sustaining all of life on this planet. You know, it's this organism that covers and then reaches down like towards the heart of mother earth, you know? And so if we're talking about doing that ancestral healing, I feel like, you know, relating to these beings that we see that are like popping up everywhere, you know, it allows us this opportunity to tap into those vast stores of wisdom and energy. Um, and you know, that co-creative ability that mushrooms have. I just went on the, like the (laughs) metaphysical part. So let me Back to the practical part, which is like, that's amazing, right? And mind bending and blowing and like totally pot, like what can happen when we tap into that is like creativity um, and innovation and um, ways of being that uh, just we're not possible before right but in a very practical sense that relates to like you mentioned food sources medicine micro remediation is huge right now you know because we're needing to um you know change what's happening on the planet so mushrooms are known to like be able to clean up oil spills for example you know things like that um also being used as uh As building materials, you know, um, there these networks and uh, the mycelium can be made to be so strong. It's like can be stronger than common building materials that we use today. You know, so there's also like so many practical uh, applications that they have. Um, But I think for me, like the important thing too is remembering what you mentioned, Jessica, that I feel like is so important is what we do with like, with the connections that we have, you know? And so I think so much of what is being like purified and healed on this planet right now um, is this kind of energy and this drive for colonization, you know, and for, like you said before, this kind of, um, you know, uh, (laughs) non-diverse situation, this very homogeneous situation that only benefits a few, you know, and I feel like the fungi are such great teachers of how to not do that, right? Because not only um, are they, you know, like they're symbiotic with the trees and the roots and they feed plants and the soil. And, you know, without the soil, we don't have food to eat, (laughs) you know? Everything comes from the earth. Uh, And so, yeah, so what one of the things I've been thinking about a lot that I feel like is really important and this goes back to also my human ancestral healing work that I've been doing. Um, so my father is American for all intents and purposes. We're a couple generations back European, like English and French, um, you know, so very that thing. Uh, and then my mother is an immigrant uh, from Korea. And so all my life, I've had to kind of grapple with these two, what feel like very opposing energies, which is basically like the colonizer and the colonized. You know, Korea actually really specifically, culturally and historically is in between Japan and China and has been fought over, you know, for ever in terms of trying to dominate that country. Uh, And so much trauma has happened within the Korean people. Um, You know, Japan took over for a very long time. A lot of things happened during that time. The Korean people, you know, ended up freeing themselves, but uh, there's a lot in there and so, you know, I inherited these two kind of, what felt like two sides of the same coin, or yeah, like two sides of the same coin, but like very different, right? Like one being the oppressed people that had to fight, you know, for their freedom. And the other one is coming from a culture that has like gone into places and took over and dominated and introduced disease and, you know, like, and eliminated, um, like very precious, you know, like cultures and peoples and habitats, like I'm getting a little emotional, you know, like I've been working through reconciling what it feels like to know what it on some level, what it feels like to be an oppressor and also to have been, you know, from an oppressed culture. Uh, And so I bring this up um, in terms of the fungi, because I think there's like also, a danger in here, right. Of bringing that same, um, unhealed energy to the mushroom world (laughs) in terms of like, what's happening now, like we could commodify it. Right. And like capitalize off of it and turn it into like, we're using them to build our houses. Right. And we're using them as a food source or we're using mushrooms to heal us or whatnot or what have you. From my point of view, like if you're looking at a fungi as ancestors, as I believe they are, it is more of a partnership, right? It's more of a collaboration. It's something we're doing together and not to be used or dumb. And I can say this because I've noticed that tendency in myself. So when I started foraging, you know, like I really wanted to find certain mushrooms, you know, because they're the mushrooms that everybody is talking about that are good to eat or that are medicinal or whatever. And so, you know, I would go out into the forest with this kind of like energy, which is like must find and take and collect and, you know, and whatever. And I could feel that happening within myself. It was horrifying, you know, but it was like such a great lesson because I was able to see that and to then use, you know, practices and, and things that I've been doing to, you know, like purify that, um, that energy that has been inherited, you know, it's like something, and it's been programmed through us, like, you know, culturally and socially to have that mentality. Like that's why so much of us are like doing so much every day and trying to survive. Right. Because we're trying to keep up with what the rest of the world is telling us we have to do in order to do so, you know, like it's, we get that message all the time. So, you know, I think it's really important also to remember that or to like, you know, somehow tap into, the consciousness of the mycelium, you know, which is a constant network of exchange and giving and receiving, you know, and sharing of resources. And when one pathway gets cut off, they develop another one, you know, in order to keep helping, they develop symbiotic relationships, you know, with the plants and the trees, they decompose, you know, like what's in the environment so that new life can grow, not just to be destructive, you know, and I think that there's like so much to learn from that. And so that, you know, when we go into um, what's kind of like becoming a new craze and like uh, Paul Stamets said could save the world. I mean, they, as far as I'm concerned, like they did create this world and <laughs> they made us who we are today. And so probably, you know, we're coming into mushroom consciousness in order, you know, to work together on that. But just to throw in there, too, that it's been a large part of my ancestral healing to work with mushrooms of all kinds um, and all the lessons that they have to give me, including being out in the forest, you know, and seeing, um, you know, my own shadow and my own energy that's been impacted, you know, um, and really being able to clear and heal that so that we can come into true Loving relationship, true recipro- reciprocity, you know, and true interbeing with one another. Because if we can't do that, I don't. I think we're screwed. Mm.
1: <laughs> well, I have a couple of thing reflections that I would like to share about what you're sharing about. Um, one is that it seems that one of our ancient ancestors in our liminal sandwich is the mushroom, right? Great agreement <laughs> for our sandwich, right? And the other thing is, there are two, a couple of things that actually my attention has been drawn to during this Ancestral Healing podcast series, which I'm super grateful for um, both Asha Ramakrishna and Andrew Ecker, if you haven't listened to their um, Podcasts. I highly recommend all of them, but particularly these because of these two points. One is um, Asha talked about the, um, the importance of consent in any relationship. And this is an essential ingredient in healthy relationship that is taken away when we're in the domination exploitation based relationship model. And it's also the essential
2: ingredient to heal from that, to restore a sense that we need to ask for consent before
1: doing anything with or to or for or around or involving any other being. So, this has been a recurring lesson for me in my herbalism and my foraging and my gardening of like, how, how do I honor and nurture healthy consent mm-hmm. in my relationships with the ancestors, human ancestors, with the plant allies, with the mushroom world, with the land itself, with my fellow human living human beings, with myself, And so asking for permission to do whatever we think really requires us to slow down and recognize Mm. every living creature, every even beings that we wouldn't consider living, like the air that we're breathing that, you know, and sometimes it's really hard to slow enough down to really recognize the consent even in a breath. But when we do, it's like, oh, Do I have the consent of the air to even breathe and be alive? Obviously the air, I mean, there's a lot of that that's not even a conscious decision on my part, but when I slow down and recognize, ah, yes, thank you air for participating in my life. You have my consent to enter my body and enliven me. Do I have your consent to receive your gifts? You know, And slowing down that relationship, it really creates a sacred space. It brings us to that liminal space directly. And then connecting with the, for example, going out foraging for mushrooms and you find them and, and slowing down for a minute and saying, oh, hello, mushroom. And then one step back from that, which I really wanna thank Andrew Ecker for talking about is introducing ourselves in any relationship When we first meet someone in order to have it, what do we do? We introduce ourselves. And uh, Andrew talks about taking this practice even farther and introducing ourselves as a relational being in a community. So introducing our whole community, introducing our parents, introducing our grandparents, introducing ourselves in relationship to the land where we reside and the land where we were born and the ancestors of those places as well. So he has a a wonderful book about that process that has been very eye-opening and revelatory to me of like, oh, wait a second, I get to reclaim this connectivity and what a potency that is to introduce myself as a member of a community to another member of a community. It just slows the whole thing down and creates the, the... the environment for and the possibility for a mutually beneficial and respectful relationship. And it it brings us to a whole different, it brings us to that liminal state. So those two practices of learning how to introduce ourselves in a ceremonial uh, way that honors where we come from and who we are and our identity and then remembering to bring this process of consent and activate actively engaging in the process of of consent, mutual consent. Such powerful gifts from amongst many gifts from this ancestral healing podcast series. I just really wanted to bring to this conversation about the mushrooms, because I feel like the mushrooms must have in the biology. And I'd be curious to see when am I, you know, I mean, and it's probably because once you're in a relationship with somebody where consent is established, you're not asking for permission for every little thing because, you know, there's there's an established knowing and sense that that we have permission to be in each other's lives and we have certain agreements and we may need to adjust those agreements at any given time. And I heard you talking about that with the mycelium of, okay, you know, something happens over here they no longer have connection with with whatever was happening over there and so they make and create a new pathway but there it just feels like that interconnectedness and that introduction if we looked into the biochemistry of of you know like planting a seed and how the mycelium connects with that plant as it's first starting to sprout its roots and what it does, what it offers to that plant, you know like planting peas or beans, for example there's particular mycelium that that help the pea plant to get more nutrients for itself, but it also benefits the mycelium and it benefits the soil. It's like everyone is winning in this relationship. You know,
3: <laughs> that's why we need to part.
1: <laughs> you know, and and so like, and we introduce like as a gardener, you know, I introduce these seeds to this mycelium and say, "Hey mycelium, here's this seed. Hey seed, here's this mycelium. You know, you guys." might really get along, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, we get along and then, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to bring those two aspects, gifts from this series forth into this conversation. And I'm curious uh, if you have uh, more sh- to share from what you've learned about the mycelium and um, the mushrooms in particular along those lines.
3: Yes. Thank you for bringing in those two very important uh, components. And I really love how you said that um, by engaging in them, they create sacred space. And I would love to add one more practice to that. Maybe even like a step before Uh (laughs) introducing yourself um, would be the practice of observation and witnessing. Um, because as humans, I think we so often get into this, uh, more active, you know, kind of masculine energized, not, I'm not talking about gender, right. But, um, you know, like this state of doing, uh, and, you know, a lot of, I think what we're coming into right now is understanding beingness, you know, and how to really be because from that place you just access like you can access all of, you know, the connection but so I was actually thinking about this earlier. Um, A lot of the practices that I've done in my lifetime, whether them be from spiritual traditions um, and meditation, for example, uh, is the practice of observing one's own mind, you know, or, um, you know, when I was a, I mean, I still am but when I was deeply entrenched in performance. Uh, I did a lot of postmodern dance practices that were about observing your body through space, like the architecture of a space. It's about observing before you start to move so that you're moved by something rather than moving, you know, and discovering what that is. Uh, And then likewise, permaculture. Um, So much of what permaculture is, is observing. You know, you're observing the different seasons and the patterns and like the slope of the land and the different, you know, like elements of a place and a space. So much of what it is to design a site is first to observe it, right? Before making like any marks about, you know like what it is that's gonna be there. And so, you know, for me, like one way to remedy my colonizer impulse uh, is (laughs) to really um, specifically like I kind of have to I don't want to say force myself, but I have to make it a really specific attention to go out and be in nature without any agenda, you know, without any like without even introducing myself, because who am I? anyway, <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of things, first, I have to be there and see, right, and see, like, because whoever I am, I'm introducing myself is dependent on every other thing that's happening in that space and at that moment, right, um, and then from there, when you introduce yourself, then you can ask for consent, right, like, can I enter this space, right, like, is it right for me to be here, can I do certain things, right, um, with you in this space, um, like, so important, but I think, like, you know that it's that pause you know it's that moment or moments of pause um because like you said like I mean the liminal state is one in which it feels timeless like it feels like time is suspended right I mean there is no time actually 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 (laughs) like so when we're in those kind of states we're accessing that space of no time you know and so for us to be able to Observe, I think, is one of the quickest access points to being in that liminal space. You know, it's kind of like one of the you know, meditative spiritual practices is when you're able to witness and observe your own mind, it creates a spaciousness kind of automatically, you know, because you're able to see like the thing that's been going all the time. And it's like Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle. Once you look at it, it automatically changes, right? The nature of it being observed changes it itself. So, you know, like for me, yeah, it's like an essential, essential practice to be before I even assert myself or like what I want to do with or in a space or with another being or anything, right, is to be in a state of observation as much as possible. And it's hard, you know, this world makes it really challenging to slow down, you know, in that oh, way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially in a garden, you know, I, I, Last last January, I moved to this place, like I was saying, and I'm like, oh, wow, I have all these plans and I wanna grow food, right? And I wanna get those seeds in as soon as possible. Where can I put them? There's already these beds already set up and what? And like that without even observing. And of course, my first year of trying to grow food in this place without observing, without like, you know, it didn't work out that great, right? There are a lot of things that, that, that I've observed over the course of this whole year that's like, okay, this is what's happening. And this is what's being asked for this is what's needed and so now i'm even deepening that practice of like okay i've observed now i'm going to introduce myself you know to the gophers and let them know you know i'm here may i grow some vegetables here and you don't eat them now i can have some too is that a possibility you know, that same
3: conversation. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and you know with the trees how you know how may i be of service to your you know the fruit trees, how may I be of service? You've, you've given me all this beautiful fruits, how may I support you? You know, mm-hmm. introducing myself, you know, I noticed that this year you had trouble with the heat, how may I support you with that? You know, is there and and just being in conversation and you're this, um, uh, call this, uh, episode here, what are we doing here? Uh, <laughs> We're in the liminal space. It's yes, funny. this conversation is unlabelable uh, conversation is inspiring me to enlist the or foster the community and I already have taken steps and I'm realizing uh, that there were steps that I took of bringing some mulch in. Um, and I know that that the, you know, that will help the soil here as a as a start and. Um, It's getting me inspired about inviting, how can we invite some of the, some of our mushroom friends, because the Mm -hmm. soil is is quite depleted where I live. It's been dry for a long time. There's lots of ants. So that's another (laughs) creature that I'm having conversations with May I, you know.
3: Well, yeah, I I love that you brought this in too, because so to bring it practically, you know, um, observation, introduction, consent, and that process, right? When you bring that to something like a garden, for example, uh, one gardens in a whole different way, right? And what we come to find out through gardening in this way, and which is why I love permaculture so much, is that actually every single thing in it has its place and its purpose for being there, you know? Even the ants, even the gophers or the moles who are like creating <laughs> what seems like havoc, you know? Um, they're there for a reason, right? And their presence um, and are acknowledging that, like, because if you can observe like what's happening with the ants, then you can react differently. Um, and, you know, I recently on another podcast told this story about how, the first year gardening, we had this aphid problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and in permaculture, they say like every problem is really just a solution. You know, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a solution. There's a solution that's like waiting to happen. And so, you know, I thought that that was terrible that they were like squirting juice, like black juice all over our corn and we couldn't eat it. <laughs> that seemed pretty terrible from a human perspective. Um, but really what they were doing was they were telling us Um, about soil indicators and having too much nitrogen in the soil Um, what they were doing that year which now years later I can say is true and actually happened was that they were signaling to the predatory insects uh, that they were in overpopulation and needed to be corrected so now we have all these other glorious beings like um, you know predatory wasps and ladybugs and things that you know only came because they were there so if, if I had tried to correct it, you know, by like spraying them with something or something else, I would have disrupted their whole purpose for being there, which was stabilizing the ecosystem, you know? So like, it can seem kind of like, uh, the process can seem ephemeral just as liminality is an ephemeral state to be in right but it's actually when operating from the state and and with this intention and the, this way of being like we come to like you were saying I love it so much it's like we become as much an integral part of the ecosystem as every other thing in it is and even the things that seem annoying which like we might seem to some of the planet right now <laughs> Um, to some of the beings on the planet and to maybe the planet in general, like we've caused a lot of destruction, right? Um, We also have an essential role, but I think it takes us like removing kind of like the ego aspect and that dominator aspect and that aspect where we come in and like we think we know how everything's working, right? It's coming into that understanding that actually like in our most effective state is the observer,
1: Are you saying here that the reason humans are spewing so much black juice all over everything and ruining everything, even for ourselves, is because we're calling in some kind of predatory species that's going to balance out the ecosystem?
3: Maybe. Maybe. But- <laughs> Maybe. But how, if we choose to observe this situation? <laughs> and maybe act differently. I would propose that if we decide in this moment to partner with species that seem like they know how to do this in a way that's really conducive <laughs> to the environment, to other beings, to us, to everything, I'm gonna throw back the fungi here on this one. <laughs> um, maybe those be like there'll be no need for those predatory beings to come in, or no need for the apocalypse and you know. The destruction. Well, and, you know, we may even look
1: at recent events of a global pandemic, you know, I mean, a predatory mm-hmm. species doesn't have to be like some giant alien with gnarly teeth and on, coming in on spaceships, right? It could be a no. tiny organism that that just says, oh, we need to balance things out here.
3: Yeah, I mean, the soil itself in one spoonful of soil, there's more microorganisms than there are humans on the planet. Like we are outnumbered. We are like not, we are not the thing.
1: In our very own
3: bodies. Right, right? we're like 90% something else. You know,
1: you were talking about at the beginning of the planet, um, there's, uh, you know, microbiologists that talk about the beginnings of life on this planet. And I, I, people who've listened to my podcast, you may have heard me tell this story that I heard one of these microbiologists talk about of, how the early microbiome went through a very similar evolutionary process that we're going through right now, where some of the micro micro the the, by, uh, the some of the microbes were over consuming mm-hmm. the other microbes, almost to the point of everyone's extinction, and they took themselves to that point of almost wiping out their own food source before they learned how to cooperate and made the development of larger, more complex organisms possible through cooperation. We only are alive because those early microbes, including bacteria and fungus, learned how to cooperate. Mm and we consist of a complex system of cooperating organisms. I'm studying microbiology right now uh, and studying the, the mitochondria. And there's a theory that, and mitochondria are an organelle inside of most of our cells that actually produce the energy that it takes for us to function, for our cells to function and for us to function and there's a theory that mitochondria was a separate organism that learned to get inside other organisms in a symbiotic manner and provide energy for those organisms and then the organism would feed the mitochondria because it it's an organism it's like an organism in and of itself but now we think of it it's so intrinsic we think of it as part of a cellular organism or part of us as an organism, but we're just made up of all these tiny little cellular organisms that have these life cycles and all these processes that are cooperating together, mm-hmm. right? That, that form tissues and organs and organ systems until we have a human body, right? And then we, we as humans are part of systems and structures and like that, that create the human society and all of that. It's only through cooperation that any of this can happen. And when we get too far into that domination and exploitation where we're over consuming, which is a natural part of evolution that needs to get balanced out at a certain point, according to these microbiologists that are looking at how life evolves, right? we're just in you know, a, a developmental phase here as, as humans, uh, uh, going through a very natural developmental phase and we can call upon our healthy microbiome inside of our bodies and our mycelial friends to remind us about cooperation and activate that instinct for survival that says we need to cooperate and come into balance with all of the organisms in, in this system of life. In order to in order to survive, and and in fact, some of the, the you know the I, you hear me talking about domination and partnership a lot, and I'll um, refer to uh, Riane Eisler's body of work about uh, if you haven't read *The Chalice and the Blade*, I highly recommend it, mm-hmm. um, and she talks about the domination uh, relationship model, where it came from, and that it wasn't always that way. She looks at the archaeological evidence of where domination came in and how, and, and looks over the course of human evolution and how we, we, she trusts in the survival instinct that keeps bringing up this partnership way of relating mm-hmm. to each other and all beings and keeps bringing it up in the domination way, keeps chomping it down. And that, but, but the survival instinct is stronger than any of that. And it is, and you know, it might mean that we get to the point where we are kind of today with climate change and all of these things, global pandemic, all of that, where it takes that, are we going to survive kind of feeling in order for that survival instinct to awaken strong enough. And it, I think it's happening. I feel like it's happening. And and you know it will will keep feeling that kind of panic of are we going to survive until it happens strong enough to overcome and and help us evolve out of that. So that's my that's my vision of of hope <laughs> for our evolution and that the mycelium uh, will. Be, play a central role according to what we've talked about today and what many people are talking about. So thank you so much for talking about this with me today. Are there any final words of wisdom before we we close out that you'd like to
3: share? Well, yeah, you wrapped it up nicely, I think. Um, but there's one thing I want to say also just to be really clear Um, because you're right. I think right now, you know, like us as humans, we are the mitochondria, right? We're like these seemingly separate beings and we need to come into this full um, symbiotic organism, which is like everything that we perceive to be around us, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And and so as much as uh, that, so that's like two, again, two like seemingly separate things that I just want to bring together for the end of this. I tend to, Almost always talk a lot more about the ephemeral and the liminal and the energetic, you know, uh, and that the stuff that's unseen, because I feel like so much of what we hear and experience in the world is about the very like physical, you know, like real world. Um, but there's two really important parts, I think, to coming into this cooperation, as you call it, in order for us to survive, right? And so there is. One, like a shift that, like you said, like, I'm glad you went there because I was going to end on the note of hope, right, <laughs> um, which is that it is happening, right? So the first part of the shift is the more kind of ephemeral one, which is a shift in consciousness, right? And it's a shift in awareness and a shift in heart and a shift in energy, right? It's like what happens when we attend to our healing, right? And so that's like really important. Um because that's the basis for then like how our action is in the world, but that's like the equally important part, you know? So I just want to be really clear in that, like, you know, when I talk about all this other stuff and observation, you know, and energy and and learning from the mycelium uh, there's a very practical real world. It's not to like spiritually bypass the fact that, you know, it is happening. And also it's going to take our conscious awareness coupled with our action, our very, very, very intended action, you know, to become cooperators rather than destructors. And because it's been so programmed in us, you know, like it is a bit of a, like, that's our work. It's work, you know, like, that we all have to do on individual and collective levels, you know, in order to do what we can in our own, you know, sphere of where we exist, you know, that We come into this conscious awareness and it has very practical, you know, like social and active like components to it in order to like equalize all of the many things which you've touched on that are going on in the world, you know, whether it's between humans dominating humans or humans dominating nature, you know, or extracting from the earth or all of these. I just want to say like, just like to, I mean, encourage all of us, like, I love what you're doing, you know, with your garden and the mushroom and the plant allies, you know, that you're commuting with. And like, I'm doing my part where I can over here, you know, and so for anyone listening to, you know, it's like, um, we like, if we want to survive, like that action component also needs to kick in. <laughs> like, We are at a very fragile state, you know, it will take both um, our awareness you know, and our conscious component and also the really practical like actions that we can take, whether it's, you know, standing up against racism, you know, or or, uh, working on restoring the earth and the planet, you know, like um, whether it's like healing um, illness, you know, like there's I mean, there's so many areas, Um, but like it takes also like a real commitment to having an impact, you know, like for the world and to like we got to fight for it you know, if we want to stay here, (laughs) we're going to have to fight, but we're not fighting against, we're, you know, fighting with, like, which is, you know, like the cooperative aspect. It's like, we're like fighting for, you know, rather than against. Um, So I think there's a lot of hope in that. And I see a lot of people doing a lot of amazing things. And I love how you're, holding the space on this, you know, podcast to be able to talk about these things and just to be able to kind of bring the liminal space into conscious conversation. And hopefully we can all bring that into inspired action.
0: Mm,
1: Beautiful. Thank you for bringing it around to inspired action. I love it. So folks want to get in touch with you and learn more about your work. um, You haven't really talked about your work much i know you mentioned some upcoming offerings that haven't really been revealed upcoming mysterious offerings Um, how might people follow you or get in touch with you to to learn more about what you're doing what you're all
3: about yeah there's a lot coming through right now that i'm really excited about a lot of it has to do with mushrooms Everything has to do with transformation and liberation. (laughs) So if you're excited about that, uh, you can find me on all the social media things under Lobster Bird on Instagram. It's Lobster Bird Graham, but everywhere else it's Lobster Bird. And I've been, I took a huge hiatus from social media, but I'm like back on there blasting out a lot now before I go into hibernation. So anything I'm doing, I'm expanding upon there and sharing there. There's always my website, lobsterbird.com. But right now I'm like really in the moment with, You know what, can kind of come through and and be shared automatically. So, I'd love to connect with people on the social media platforms while they still exist, and we'll find other ways to connect more deeply from there.
1: (laughs) All right, sounds good. And listeners also know that if you want to learn more about what's happening in the womb centered healing temple, you can go to wombcenteredhealing.com and sign up for the newsletter there to get announcements about upcoming events and also keep an eye out for emails about other um, podcasts episodes in this ancestral healing series. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today. That's all for now. Until next time, take good care.